I'm Dennis Estoposi of the Business Mirror, and this is the Broader Look Podcast. Today, we podcast the first part of a four-part episode on Chinese Filipinos based on the story by Jade Lim Lopez. Lim Lopez is a writer, documentary producer, and media consultant for environmental non-government organizations and legal assistance groups. Lim Lopez's story titled Chinese Filipinos Transecting 1521 was published in the Philippine Graphic on March 21, 2021. The Philippine Graphic Magazine is the sister publication of the Business Mirror and published every month. Let's get on with the story. The time was 1417, over a hundred years before Spain set foot on the Philippines. The place, the small city of Dezhu in the province of Shandong, a few hours from the Chinese capital of Beijing. Sultan Paduka Pahala, Batara in some references, along with two wives, three sons, two other sultans, and a party of over 300, had sailed to China on a tribute mission to Ming Dynasty Emperor Zhu De, the equivalent of a diplomatic mission today. Sultan Pahala was actually one of several Philippine sultans who visited China between the 10th and 15th centuries to negotiate for better trade concessions or most favored tribute status. The trip was his bid to elbow out other rival sultans or chiefs in trade with China. Unfortunately, on the journey home, after over a week of successful exchange in gifts and ceremonies, Sultan Pahala took ill and died in Dezu. So taken by his new friend's death, the Chinese emperor commissioned the construction of a mausoleum and even took care of the late sultan's family, some of whom remained in China and became Chinese citizens. Today, the sultan has over 5,000 descendants in China. Yes, the Chinese kept records. And thousands more in Sulu and Tawi-Tawi. His gravesite, a tomb and a mausoleum, is Dezu City's best tourist attraction. The simple but elegant graveyard is the only burial place for a foreign king in China and is now a national historical protected site. Regular official visits between Pahala's Chinese and Philippine descendants are sponsored by both governments together with the ethnic Chinoy community in the Philippines. Sultan Pahala was chief of three Sulu kingdoms in Mindanao from the late 1300s to the early 1400s. His voyage to China is often touted by Philippine and Chinese diplomats as well as the Chinoy community as a shining example of the centuries-old friendship and blood ties between the two peoples. There were no ethnic Chinese before Spain colonized the Philippines. By the same token, there was still no nation called the Philippines. The ethnic Chinese-Filipino community Filipinos who happen to trace their ethnic roots and social cultural beliefs and practices to China are a consequence of Spanish colonial rule, continued to a large extent by American colonial and Philippine governments, as well as changing attitudes of Filipinos. Teresita Angsi, one of the country's foremost scholars on Chinese in the Philippines, explained, Philippine Chinese experience in the Philippines changed from one of tolerant, friendly trade in the centuries before Spanish colonization to bigotry, economic exploitation, 
harassment and violence after Spain took hold of the archipelago. Spain was not interested in our 7,000 islands or the native populace. One of their main reasons for coming here was to use this land as a stepping stone to China. Chinese in the Philippines were seen as a means to enter China and get a share in the trade of Chinese products and eventually to help Spain evangelize the Chinese. These objectives pretty much shaped Spanish colonial policy in the Philippines and their policy toward the Chinese here. One of the first things they did was to try to Christianize the Philippine Chinese. The very first book they published in the Philippines was the Catholic Catechism in the Chinese language, the Doctrina Christiana and Letra y Lengua China, Christian Doctrine in the Chinese Letter, 1590 to 1592. Philippine Chinese experience in the Philippines changed from one of tolerant friendly trade in the centuries before Spanish colonization to bigotry, economic exploitation, harassment, and violence after Spain took hold of the archipelago. Historians view this as ironic because the Spanish community in Manila and other provinces were almost totally dependent on the Chinese, not just for profitable trade goods, but for many services like laundry, tailoring, shoemaking, and carpentry, as well as the supply of basic provisions such as food and water, candles and cloth. This dependence on the more numerous non-Christian Chinese who also happened to be on good terms with the native Filipinos fostered fear that one day the Chinese would lead an entire Spanish revolt. This fear, along with Spanish abuses, led to periodic riots, Spanish crackdowns, via mass expulsions, and massacres of the Chinese in the tens of thousands. Spanish intolerance toward Philippine Chinese was absorbed by the Spanish-educated Philippine elite and eventually the majority of the Christianized Filipinos. It was a prejudice that continued into the American colonial rule up to Philippine independence and afterwards. Edgar Wickberg, one of the most respected authors on ethnic Chinese in the Philippines, observed that the more westernized the Filipino, the more anti-Chinese they became. Ironic because while the Chinese often competed with native Filipinos and mestizos economically, China as a nation never colonized the Philippines, never waged war against the country, never tortured or raped Filipinos. Philippine Chinese have in fact, since Spanish times, been catalysts for the opening up of poor remote communities to the world economy and the development of agriculture, manufacturing, and trade in almost all provinces of the country. Many descendants of Chinese immigrants, notably the Chinese-Filipino mestizos, played leading roles in the Philippine War of Liberation against Spanish rule. Only recently have attitudes changed. The Mass Neutralization Act of 1975 allowed ethnic Chinese to become Filipino citizens and opened more avenues for Philippine Chinese to integrate. Before 1975, the ethnic Chinese, even those born and raised here, were restricted by law to trade or do business. They were also banned from entering other professions, could not vote or own land. 
As Filipino citizens, many younger ethnic Chinese have completely integrated with the majority of Filipinos as lawyers, doctors, accountants, and government servants. As Chinois, they were now truly Filipino. No permanent Chinese settlement was known to exist in the Philippines before the arrival of Spain. Records show that most of the Chinese who came here were transient sailors and merchants. A 19th century Chinese map shows an old Chinese wharf and lodgings in Holosuni, while in 1570, Spanish conquerors found a small colony of Chinese traders in Manila. The Philippines was not yet a nation. Instead, the island's people were made up of chiefdoms or communities led by chiefs and a council who, depending on their religion and social system, went by the title Sultan, Datu, Raha, or Lakan, meaning paramount leader. There was, however, a lively and diverse system of trade between China and the Philippines, many chiefdoms, as well as as well as between the Philippines and other Southeast Asian states like the Malukas, Maluku, and Borneo, Malacca, and Brunei, and even India. Chinese annals from the 10th to 15th centuries, or 900 to 1400 plus AD, which include eyewitness accounts by the Chinese who accompanied them, tell of Philippine chieftains who made tributary missions to Chinese emperors. At that time, China was the most economically developed empire in East and Southeast Asia. Various chiefdoms competed to gain access into the Chinese tributary system. Chinese and Southeast Asian, or Brunei, historical records list Philippine tribute missions from Ma'i in Mindoro. Chinese spelled this as Maoliu, Butuan, Pituan in about 101 AD. In about 1001 AD, Polo in Sulu, Maguindanao, Mintolang, and Manila, Malilu. All these missions were attempts by Filipino chiefdoms to get direct access to the China market and bypass rival Southeast Asian middlemen. The tribute system was Imperial China's foreign economic and international trade system and never a policy for political control. Foreign leaders could gain access into China's lucrative trade market by going on tribute missions or visits to the emperor, taking part in ceremonies which included bowing to the emperor in recognition of China's power and leadership. In exchange, tributary states could export goods to China and import Chinese products. It also facilitated access into China's overseas sea trade or junk trade so named after China's distinctive junk ships, which used elliptical curved sails, reinforced with bamboo as opposed to European square-sailed ships. Philippine exports to China included forest products like spices, hardwood, abaca, metal ores, especially gold, animal hides, resins, beeswax, honey, betel nuts, coconut heart mats, Colorful bird feathers like kingfishers and peacocks for the Palawan pheasant, sea products like tortoise shells, seashells and pearls, and cotton grown in Mindoro, Palawan, and Cebu also figured in exports to China. Imports from China were mainly manufactured goods like porcelain, silk, beaten gold and silver, coins, jewelry, especially jade and glass beads, 
iron and bronze pots, iron needles, lead, copper beads, wine, perfumes, musk, ambergris from sperm whales to make perfumes and medicines, ebony wood, lacquerware, and furniture. Not all encounters between the Chinese and Filipinos were cordial. Piracy, which was rampant throughout the world in the so-called age of exploration and discovery from the 1400s to the 1700s, also posed problems for the Philippines, many Southeast Asian states, including China. There are as yet no known documented cases of piracy by Chinese against Filipinos in pre-colonial times. There were, however, many Chinese pirates, some of whom allied with pirates of other Southeast Asian states to ransack, rape, and kidnap civilians to sell as slaves. Some even allied with Portuguese colonial forces to raid Spanish and Dutch colonies, both rivals of the former in the lucrative spice trade and Chinese market. Two documented cases of Chinese piracy in the Philippines, Limahong and Koshinha, took place during the Spanish regime. And while most Filipinos take the Spanish point of view that these two serve as examples of Chinese avarice and ferocity, later studies by Filipino and Chinese scholars paint another picture. Chinese pirate and warlord Limahong or Lim Hong and his men, for instance, while having looted and burned villages in Bigang, Ilocosur, and two failed attempts to invade Manila in 1574, was able to lure Pangasinan natives to his side after declaring victory over Spain in Manila. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Business Mirror Brother Look podcast. As always, we are grateful for your support. For suggestions and comments, please send an email to news.businessmirror at gmail.com with the subject line, BM Podcast. Tune in next week for the second part of this four-part episode on Chinese Filipinos based on the story by Jade Lim Lopez. Many thanks go to Business Mirror reporter Kai Ordinario for the voiceover of the quotes from Teresita Ansi. We are grateful as always to Business Mirror reporter Jasper Emmanuel Arcalas for the technical and sound editing. This is Dennis Estopas of the Business Mirror asking you to stay strong, support each other, and be empowered. Thank you for listening.